And the main thing I want to do with these live talks is to go to the next level deeper into meditation practice and start talking about, in, in really sort of tactical, practical terms, how to integrate it into every aspect of your life. Uh, and even how to make it this thing that infuses your life and even guides it, right? In other words, to use meditation as a, as a kind of compass to help you find a deeper level of bliss and contentment in your life. Uh, and today, the main thing I want to talk about is the nature of desire and fear, and how these two things relate to meditation and actually how it relates to why Preside even exists in the first place and what I'm trying to teach you through the channel of Preside. The reality of life is that 99% of everything you do over the course of your entire life is driven by just two things, desire and fear. And the two, if you notice this, move together, right? It, they kind of move together like they're on an endless and eternal seesaw with fear on the one side and desire on the other. Desire, obviously, for the things you want and for the things you want to happen. And typically the list is, has things like, you know, long life, health, food, um, you know, power, sex, security, prestige, uh, career success. But this can also include desire for larger things, right? The health and happiness of your family and friends, your allies, your country, uh, larger causes like desire for world peace and the ending of poverty, et cetera, et cetera. Regardless of what the object of desire is, the reality is that your life is an endless stream of desire, desire, desire for all things big and small and everything from the petty to the sublime and inspirational. And then on the other end, you have fear, which is, of course, the flip side of desire, fear of illness, fear of poverty, failure and rejection, failure in your career, uh, embarrassment, fear of violence, oppression, um, fear for your family, for your friends, and also fear that the causes you care about will not come to success. And again, it's less about what you want and rather more about the fact that you want at all, the fact that you have desire and fear. It's not the object, it is the movement, the muscle flexing of desire and fear that gets the seesaw moving. Uh, it's not about whether it's good or bad, it's the movement itself that drives your entire life. Now, Everything I've just said is not that big a deal. It's not rocket science, and I'm not really telling you anything you don't already know. But the thing is, all of this desire and fear, seesaw up and down, it is, I mean, it's normal, right? It's fine, and it's what life is, except when desire and fear become excessive and run out of control. And this is when we suffer and we feel trapped, and we feel like we can't escape. We can't get a break from it all. Now, the thing is, 
paired with this reality of desire and fear, the thing that few people ever talk about, few ever really even know about, is the fact that within every single one of us, there is a quiet place inside of you, which is immune from desire and fear, which is unmoved by desire or fear. It is the immovable midpoint between desire and fear. Now, if you go back to the seesaw image, the quiet place I'm referring to is literally not either edge of the seesaw, but the fulcrum, the pivot point in between. It is the one place on the entire seesaw that does not move. And the secret of the quiet place is that you are actually free to go there and take a rest in this immovable, safe, and stable quiet place any time you want. This is a place that is free from desire and fear, and as a result, free from worry and anxiety, free from frustration, free from depression, insomnia, and even anger. You can stay there to rest search any time for as long as you want, for free and on demand, if you know how to do it. And shifting yourself over to this quiet place is the act of meditation. Meditation is the act of moving yourself gently and effortlessly over to this quiet place, the fulcrum point between desire and fear. And my goal with Preside is very simply to teach you three key things in relation to this quiet place. Now, the first thing is just to really, you know, show it to you, right, to point out the fact that this place does exist um, and hopefully to teach you within the first five minutes of stumbling across Preside uh, what it feels like and how to get there. And for those of you who have tried the first launch exercise, which is, you know, the infamous sponge in the kitchen, um, you know, for I think probably 90% of people who try it, it works on the first try. And within five minutes, you have that, you know, drifting feeling. And that is um, a pretty good first sampler taste of what it feels like to be in that midpoint between desire and fear. So that's the first goal of Preside, to just reach out to as many people um, as we can get to out there to show them that this thing exists and it's inside of you and, you know, it, it's a part of you. You can access it anytime and nobody can ever take it away from you. The second goal of Preside is to teach you all the different techniques you can use to get to that quiet place easily and reliably on your own for the rest of your life. And that's where the different meditation exercises and different routines you can, you can take up come into play. Um, and there's a lot more we'll say about that, even in the question and answer period. So I'll, I'll leave that there. The third thing then, 
the third goal of Prasari is really to teach you how to extend your time in this quiet place uh, after you've learned how to get there. So when I say extend your time there, I mean that in, in two regards. The first sense of extend is once you reach your quiet place, how to extend your actual meditative range so that, you know, instead of just being able to meditate for five to seven minutes, you extend your range to 20 minutes, to 40 minutes, to 60, and even, you know, if you care for this, you don't, it is all optional, right? But even to a meditative range of multiple hours at a time um, so that you will have a very strong muscle of the non-thinking mind, muscle of you know, going back to the quiet place. So that's the first sense. And there are many specific exercises like the drift exercises uh, you may have seen in the course you have access to, which help you how to do this. The second sense of extending your time in the quiet place really has to do with tapping into the quiet place when you're not meditating. So when you're not meditating and you're just in your everyday life mode in the middle of you know, a meeting uh, or doing work or running errands or interacting with friends and family, being able to tap into that midpoint between desire and fear um, is an extremely powerful and quite specific skill uh, to learn in your life. And over time, what you will be able to do when students really get good at this, we had said just a couple minutes ago that you know, everyone's life is 99% driven by desire and fear. Well, when you have this skill of being able to zip over to the midpoint of the seesaw, at any point in the middle of the day, even when you're driving or, or doing anything, you're able to actually get that 99% down to 80 or even 70 or even 60% of your, you know, of your life. Uh, and the most advanced students will actually learn to, you know, kind of live, live there, right? Where being at that center point is their default resting mode. They're, they're actually, it's flipped. They're there 99% of the time uh, in the quiet place, right? Not on either edge of the seesaw, riding up and down, but 99% in the center of the seesaw. That is their home now. That is where they live. And by any measure, um, a practitioner or student who has attained this is, I mean, they become this extraordinary human being. I mean, they just, they, they look the same as anybody else, but they just inside are living a life of deep happiness and profound contentment. And, and obviously, they're still getting all this stuff done, right? They're still paying their bills and you know, raising their families and doing good work in, in, in the larger world. The only difference is they, you know, it, it's, you rarely see them get angry. They're pretty calm and relaxed all the time. And inside, they're just happy all the time because they live in a state of bliss. And this ultimately, if you end up, you know, sort of going on this adventure with me for a while, this is my wish for you. Now, obviously, this is a long-term goal, right? And the thing with Preside is, um, 
And the part of it that's an adventure for me is that I know what I need to teach you to get there, but I'm not quite sure exactly how it's all going to happen. All right, will it all be more calls like this one? Will it be more videos, audios? Will we actually have in-person retreats and meetings at some point? Uh, I'm just not quite sure yet. We're figuring it out as we go. But, um, you know, because this is what we're trying to do, I really have to thank you all again for you know, coming on this adventure and contributing your awesome and excellent questions and feedback, uh, which are the thing that helps us all get there. So, okay, so I've, I've gone on for a little bit. With that, let me switch over to uh, a bit of uh, Q&A. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with uh, some questions that have been emailed to me over the past couple of days. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll start with that and see what our time looks like from there. And again, if you do have a live question at any time, uh, the best way is just to go ahead and email it to me. And if that's not available, uh, hit five star. Um, and, uh, and we'll try to make time for that in the end, or we'll, or we'll cover it in next week's call. So first question comes from uh, Liliana. And her question is just, you know, wonderful. She says, this is for me my first experience with meditation. And I found very helpful these meditation exercises and instructions, especially because they're short, clear, and easy to understand. However, I'm still having difficulty quieting my monkey mind. And, you know, can you, I mean, the question is basically, can you talk about this? And I just want to make um, a quick comment on, on this first part of Liliana's question, which is, and I just want to sort of set this down now, it will always be a challenge. Monkey mind will always be a challenge for everyone as long as they are alive. It's not just you. Uh, and as a matter of fact, as a side note, the smarter and more well-educated you are, the harder it's going to be for you to meditate and quiet your monkey mind. Because you can think of more things and more reasons to derail yourself. Um, and fundamentally, right, as a, as a well-educated person, you are deeply ingrained in the world of ideas and symbols and logic. I mean, any kind of knowledge work or higher learning pursuit is deeply marinated in symbols. Right? Computer code is all symbols. Words, you know, if you're a writer, a journalist, um, you know, if, if you're a lawyer, right, legal is all words and symbols. Financial person numbers, money, all symbols, even visual arts. But 90% of everything we do that we call quote-unquote productive or you know, prestigious or successful, it's all symbol-based and dependent pursuits. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Symbols are very important and critical. But the job of a symbol is to point to something other than itself. And in other words, the job of a symbol symbol is to take you a level or two away from reality because their job is to point to reality uh, or even to point to each other and you never even get to reality. Right? I mean, anytime you look at a sign, you're not actually looking at the thing itself. Uh, we live pretty close to the Golden Gate Bridge here in San Francisco and it's just always so, I think it's just so cute and endearing how, you know, at the bridge, um, you know, the folks who visit it, they always take a picture with the sign for the Golden Gate Bridge. 
And then they also take a picture of themselves on the bridge. Um, and, of course, the bridge itself is a symbol for, you know, San Francisco, West Coast, California, which is why they're visiting in the first place. So this is a whole other topic for a later call. But, you know, my, my answer to you is just don't worry. Monkey mind will always be a challenge. It is supposed to be a challenge. Um, and don't think that you're ever going to squash it because it, it's a part of you. Um, one other thing to say here is that, in fact, the very statement, I am still having trouble quieting my monkey mind, is, in fact, the monkey mind talking. <laughs> so, I mean, even worrying about the monkey mind is itself monkey mind. And this may seem like a paradox at first, but as you spend time in meditation and make that meditation muscle stronger, you're going to realize that there is this whole other side of yourself, of your capability and power, that is completely separate from thinking and intention. And once you are able to sit comfortably in the seat of this other side of you, the paradox goes away and you have effectively solved the puzzle of monkey mind. But this takes a little time and is actually exactly why I've decided to do these weekly calls because I can tell you the basic theory, right? But to see all these little specific examples every week is the thing that drip, 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 little by little will help you get your understanding and core intuition deeper and deeper and sharper and sharper. Because the exercise is only partly logical and intellectual. Most of it is actually intuitive. And building your intuition around handling monkey mind in all of its disguises. Um, so second part, Liliana goes on to ask, what's the best advice you can give me of what to follow with my daily meditation exercises? Should I practice only the first exercise for a week or two, or is it okay to do a different exercise every day? This is a great question. So what I do really quickly is I just pick one launch exercise and do that every night for a week and then switch to another one for the next week. Switch to the third one for the third week and then for the fourth week, switch back to the first one. The reason for this is that you want to give monkey mind a routine, right? Monkey mind's like a little three-year-old kid. You know, routine is a good thing. And you want to give it an easy rhythm to follow. You don't want to have to think too much every time you sit down to meditate. Anytime you think, should I meditate now or in half an hour? Should I do this exercise or that exercise? You're just giving it an extra opportunity to derail you, and you know it. Right, so you want as much as possible on autopilot. And you want the autopilot steps to be easy and effortless and pleasant. I mean, some students actually go so far as to write down their, you know, pre-flight checklist <laughs> for meditating before bedtime, and they leave it on their bedside table. And when time comes for bed and they, they, they walk toward the bed, they just pick up the card and they just go on autopilot. Um, if you think about a monastery, right, and all of its regular schedules and routines and traditions, this is precisely why it's designed this way, right? Everything is carefully designed to be on autopilot. Now, you can do the same technique for a year, 
right, if you can stand it, right? But what I like to do is I like to change every week just to give monkey mind, just to throw it a bone, right? Give it a little less power, a little less resistive power, especially if you're just starting your meditation practice, right? And your muscle is not well-developed yet. Um, so I highly recommend a weekly change rhythm. Uh, question from Charles. Uh, so when do you know it's time to switch meditation techniques? How often should you switch meditation techniques? So, um, so for here, I already talked about switching it weekly, but I love this question because I, I want to make one more comment around switching techniques. The other time to change a meditation technique is when you feel like it's too hard or certainly if it's giving you headaches or any, anything else like that. Any discomfort, um, you should think about switching your meditation technique. Now, some of you who are, you know, sort of totally sort of on the ball and, and thinking about this here may say, hang on, wait a minute. Isn't discomfort during a meditation technique just monkey mind trying to derail me? Uh, and the answer is ding, ding, ding. Yes, you're absolutely right. But in this case, even if it may be monkey mind caused, I just switch it up anyway. It's fine. Right. Um, so if you have a library of techniques to draw from, that definitely helps. Uh, I would finish the meditation. So I wouldn't break in the middle of a 10 minute meditation because it's not working. I would finish to the end and then think about switching the next time. Um, but, you know, the things you should be looking for in any given meditation. So I assume everyone here has done the first exercise with the sponge in the kitchen. Right. And when you stood there after a while, you know, most of you quickly slipped into this sort of almost drifting, relaxed feeling, right? Okay. So the three things any technique you use uh, should do for you, and this is, it doesn't have to be a technique that you find at preside. It can be any meditation technique. Okay. Three key things you want to look for. Number one, it basically relaxes you, right? A meditation technique, I mean, life is too short. It shouldn't be hard or forced or difficult or give you headaches. It should just relax you. Number two, it should feel effortless. Now, I have a separate, uh, actually, recorded talk that goes into the, the whys and wherefores about this, but it should be effortless. And the third thing is that within the first, you know, I mean, I, I'm into instant gratification. Within the first three to five minutes, you should be hitting that drifting feeling. Um, and for me, uh, I think for most people, it's quite a pleasurable feeling. So the third criterion is it should be pleasurable. And if after two to three attempts or two to three you know, uses of the technique, it's not doing all three of the above for you, it relaxes you, it's effortless, and it's pleasurable, I recommend you just switch to a different technique. Now, part of what I'll be doing with preside meditation is building up uh, – what we call the preside library. So over the past 25 years, um, I've collected and in many cases custom designed uh, over a hundred different meditation exercises just for my own use in different situations. Uh, and I, I basically need to make time out of my schedule to, to record these, to document them and, and to give the pre and post kind of debriefs on how to use them. Uh, but over time, I'll be recording these, and I will be making them available to the preside community. And the way you would use these is you, you'd probably get, like, three or four at a time, and you would just have a session where we try all three or four. 
uh, over a week or whatever. And odds are one or two of them will really resonate for you. They will really work well. And those are the ones you want to keep. You want to get good at them. You want to train on them. And the ones that don't work, you just skip them, right? Because everyone's going to be different, right? Some people will be very resonant with and inclined toward exercises that involve visualization of different forms. Right? Other people will be highly resonant with sound-based meditation. Uh, others will be into bodily sensation, body scanning, uh, and there's also kinetic styles of meditation, so qigong and tai chi, and they're typically thought of as martial arts, but there are specific exercises in some of those disciplines that lead to you know, the, the, that actually, you know, check all three boxes, right, of the criteria we're looking for. And the thing is, once you find the ones that work for you and you train on them and you get good at them, they're going to be like instant reflexes that are in your quiver of arrows, uh, you know, for the rest of your life, right? So at any given point, you're just going to be able to slip in, into your relaxed state, you'll be able to slip over to the middle of the seesaw in a snap, right, when you're meditating, but then eventually, even when you're not meditating. And having this skill, having, you know, a quiver of three or four arrows that you you can just do this is an extremely powerful asset um, for just living well. And the beauty of meditation is you can be 120 years old, uh, right, elderly on your deathbed, and you can still do any of these exercises, right? They scale beautifully regardless of your age or stage of life. Okay, another question from Joanne. Again, slightly related, but I, this is a good opportunity to get, to get into this a little deeply. She asks, what is the best way to consistently meditate? Great question. So we talk about going on autopilot, um, and we talk about finding techniques that relax you, calm you down, and are effortless and pleasurable slash get you to drifting. So for Joanne's question, here's what I recommend. In the course that you have access to, pick one exercise for the week, pick a launch exercise, download it as an MP3, or bookmark it on your smartphone, and you can just play it off the website directly from your smartphone. You don't need to necessarily download it into your iTunes or whatever. But the version you should download, and each of the launch exercises have two or three different versions, you should get the version that says open-ended. Right? And the open-ended version is the version where, at the end of it, I don't call you out. I don't say, okay, come on out. So when it ends, it's just going to end. So this is the version I would want you to play for yourself at night. And again, you, we've gone over this in a recorded talk. In bed in your pajamas, teeth are brushed, everything's done, it's the last thing you do before you knock off and go to sleep, right? And, you know, especially if you're beginning a meditator, I would lie down. I would lie down in bed, um, and instead of trying to go to bed, listen to the five-minute meditation. It will get you into the drifting state. And stay in that state conscious uh, for as long as you can, but without forcing it, okay? And what will happen most of the time is you'll actually fall asleep. And the next time you open your eyes, it's going to be morning and 
you will have had an amazing night of sleep and you're going to jump out of bed ready for the day. And it's totally okay. And my recommendation is that you do this every night. Now, you may say, well, I'm only really clocking, you know, five minutes of real meditation and I'm kind of falling asleep after that. doesn't matter. It's totally valid meditation. And it will work your non-thinking muscle, the muscle that shifts you from the edge of the seesaw to the middle, every night. Right? And as a result, over a couple weeks, a couple months, it's going to get pretty darn strong. Right? And you can do this for a month, or you can do this for a year, or even multiple years. And here's the thing. As you get stronger, you will be able to do more meditations of other configurations. So if you wanted to try to meditate for longer, you can do that you know, during the day, in the morning. You can go for longer periods of time. And you'll be able to progress on a very strong path of development of all of the skills we're talking about. You can go as far as you'd like to go. You can go all the way. But the beauty of it is the foundation for you building all of this strength and capability is this nightly, effortless, five-minute practice that, by the way, makes you sleep great. Okay. And, and the other thing is doing this nightly practice. If, now, if you're here and you're like, well, I just want the health benefits and, you know, I want to have a healthier life and I've read all the brain research that says meditation increases your IQ, that's fine um, because what you'll find is that this will do all that for you, but over time, once this practice gets a bit of momentum going, you're going to find that, you know, some nights it gets messed up, the routine gets messed up. And you're going to know exactly why. It's like, oh, yeah, I know I got messed up because I had one too many drinks that night. Right? Or I overstuffed myself at dinner. Or I had caffeine, like, too late in the day. Or whatever the issue specific to you is. And you're going to be so, you know, in a, in a sense, addicted to this wonderful freight train of sleeping well and meditating and going to bed is no issue. You know, it's, it's pleasurable. You're going to say, well, I'm, I'm just not going to drink that much before bed. It's not worth it. Right? I'm not going to overstuff myself before I go to bed. I'm not going to. And it will just start to, you know, infuse all of these other parts uh, of your life to, um, to basically, you know, you'll, you'll just be healthier all around and this is still a quote-unquote benefit of meditation, but it's more a secondary indirect benefit. But it ends up being huge. When I talk to my students and they've been doing this regularly for weeks or months, they, they just go on and on about all the, you know, kind of what I would consider ancillary benefits. But the, the real impact on their lives is, is tremendous. So there's a lot more to say here over the long term. But for the basics, this is what, you know, I would recommend. Um, and the side benefit is you get a really smooth and healthy bedtime routine that you'll carry with you forever. Okay, let's see. It's uh, 6.38, so uh, maybe last question from Mike. Um, and this is a bit of a more intermediate or advanced question, but I, I thought it was really interesting, so I wanted to include it in, in, this, uh, in this talk. And Mike says, okay, so I've been meditating now almost every day, since the beginning of November, uh, coincidentally the same time I discovered Preside. 
I've kind of hit a plateau now at 20 minutes, um, which, by the way, is amazing because, you know, Mike is effectively what Mike is saying is he's been meditating every night for 20 minutes for you know, several weeks, several months. Um, it's just incredible, right? And he goes on to say, a part of me feels like staying at 20 minutes until I, quote unquote, get better at meditating and that I should not push past 20 minutes until I can manage to sit and keep straight thoughts at bay. Um, so this is Mike's question. And I have to say, this is very, very, I mean, you think about the logic. It's it's very good logic, right? I don't want to go past too, too much farther. Um, you know, you can almost read into it that I don't want to mess up my thing until I'm ready or risk messing up my routine until I'm ready. And what I would say here is that if you're like Mike and you have a regular daily or nightly meditation practice and it's feeling good, I don't care what the time is. Let's say it's under 20 minutes. Let's say it's five to seven minutes and you've sustained this thing for any number of weeks or months, that in and of itself is amazing and wonderful. And I would leave that alone. Right? I would just keep that freight train running and until the momentum is just unstoppable. Uh, and whatever is comfortable and doable, whatever quote-unquote plateau you're at, just keep it there. Don't mess with it. Right? And, I mean, this is like a precious golden treasure that you've generated for yourself. And, and I would just, you know, nurture that spark or ember for the rest of my life, if I were you. Okay. Now, in terms of pl the, the plateau, the plateau is just fine, right? There's no rule that says you need to meditate for this long or that long. Now that said, uh, for some of you uh, have probably hit this part of the course where I talk about the magic of minute 40, right? So if you're thinking about, well, I, I want to hit the 40-minute mark because, you know, already said it was kind of a special thing and all this sort of magical stuff happens out at minute 40, that's great. You should definitely shoot to do that if you have interest in that. But I would strongly suggest that you go after that milestone as a separate project. In other words, You've got your nightly practice. It's a rolling freight train. It's going great. Leave it alone. Right? If it's working well for you, don't mess with it. It is one of the most valuable pillars you have in your life. It's that precious. And then if you have ambition to go for 40 minutes, do it separately. Right? So outside of your nightly practice, you know, maybe during the day or morning on a random weekend day, sit alone in your room and go on an expedition. Try to sit for 30 minutes. Try to sit for 40 minutes. See what happens. Don't worry about getting good before you go out on this expedition. You're not going to go out and starve or anything. You're just sitting in your room. So don't worry. You're not going to break anything. You know, you're not going to shatter the universe. Um, it's just half an hour. Right? I mean, I've sat in meetings that are way longer than that. I'm, I'm definitely hitting <laughs> profound meditative states out of sheer boredom, right? Now, the thing is, as you go for longer and you build the confidence that you can go longer, that you're proving to yourself that you can do it, you will get better at letting the thoughts quiet down on your own. 
In other words, don't try to get better before you go out to 40. The, the practice of trying to get out to 40 is what's going to make you better and stronger. And also, going out to 40, you may fall asleep, even though it's a, like a Sunday morning or something. That's still okay, right? Um, just sleep, right? There are far worse things in life than accidentally taking a nap on a Sunday morning or afternoon, right? And it's actually pretty great. Um, so my advice in summary is to, if you want to try to go out to 30 to 40-minute mark, do it on a one-off basis, the odd expedition here or there, right? If you, can, if you have the time to go, just go. The experience of trying to extend your range out to 40 minutes is going to, the experience itself, right, win, lose, or draw, you're going to learn a lot. The mind will still chatter at the 30 to 40 minute mark. It's perfectly normal. But the nature of the chatter will be different. It will be less trivial, less petty, and more intense. And the reason is, at 30 to 40 minutes, monkey mind's going to be at one extreme or the other. It's either going to be really frustrated with you, and it's just going to be bringing out the big guns to really get you to dislodge or derail. So it's, going to, it's not going to bring up all oh, my face issues or whatever. It's going to bring up, you know, there's a serious life issue, you know, you, you need to think about. And as a result, you know, you need to get out of meditation right now, right? It's not going to be messing around at the 30 to 40 minute mark. Or it will go in the opposite direction opposite extreme. It's just going to go away. Poof. It's just going to dissipate, vaporize. It's going to concede this round to you. Nice one. I'll get you the next time. And you will just drop into the ocean of bliss. Right. But the thing is, whether you felt like your 40 minute meditation was quote unquote good or not, it is actually always good. Always good. Because when you're trying to get out to 40, you're working the muscle of your non-thinking mind very strenuously, right? And if you're like, oh, already I went for 40 minutes and, and the chatter never stopped, well, I could argue very persuasively that the fact that you had continuous sustained resistance from monkey mind for 40 straight minutes is proof that you were doing something right, Right? But your muscle was being worked continuously. You can't tell me it wasn't because monkey mind was like nipping at your heels, hitting you over the head the whole time. And you still sat there. As a result, your muscle got worked. You are stronger. So anyway, 40 minutes sitting at once is a big time investment, even if you only do it weekly. Right? And on this, you, you just need to trust me a little. If you do this somewhat regularly, maybe twice a month or whatever, it will pay off you will see significant differences in how you feel and even in how you look at the world. At the end of a 40-minute meditation, when you come out, the world looks different. And the more you do it, the more these positive differences will follow you into your regular life when you're not meditating. Um, and uh, last add-on question from Mike, uh, just to cover this quickly, he, he said, you mentioned in your, in your website the significance of the 40-minute mark. Is this 40 minutes straight, or does it count to sit for 20 in the morning and 20 in the evening? And really quickly, I'm referring to 40 minutes straight in one straight sitting. Um, because 20 minutes, you know, monkey mind goes to yellow alert, 
and then another 20 minutes in the, in the evening, monkey mind goes to yellow alert. When you sit for 40 minutes, monkey mind goes to full red alert. And that's where you want it to see where it's really going to take you. Um, and you'll learn a lot about it. Okay, so uh, it's 647. Uh, I wanted to sort of end this around the 45-minute mark. So I think that's all we have time for this week. But for next week, I'll give you a quick preview. Uh, I, I'm going to want to start with a question from uh, a preside member. His name is Takaya, and he lives in Japan. And this is just a great question. So Takaya writes, you know, my question on meditation is, what does it mean to be here and now? If you don't like your life today, spiritual people often say you should do your best at your situation. But that's a tall order. So this is an amazing question, Takaya. Thank you so much. It's totally spot on. And this is the question that we'll start with uh, in next week's call. And I'll actually plan to cover this in quite a bit of detail. All right, and last item. Uh, so this week, I will send out an email to everyone to ask you for your questions for next week. Again, I love your questions. Hearing your questions is why I do this. And it is your questions that make these talks possible. So thank you so much, and please keep your excellent questions coming. All right, uh, thanks a lot, everyone, and I will see you next week. <laughs>